And it went from pretending to really connecting with my child. And it was a really hard conversation. There were lots of tears that were shed, but in the end, lots of hugging and a greater appreciation for the paths and the journeys that we take and how different they all are. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today is a doctor and a number one best-selling author of 31 books and was named the California Young Mother of the Year, an award which completely amuses her four sons. She teaches online for Brigham Young University and creates online courses at lifelonglearningeducation.com. She's also a movie critic at moviereviewmom.com and has a daily podcast on Alexa called Daily inspirational quote with Trina. She worked as a legislative assistant for a congressman in Washington, D.C. and was given the Points of Light Award and Presidential Volunteer Service Award for her domestic and international community service. She's taught classes at the famous Le Cordon Bleu Culinary College, and she says she has the weight gain to prove it. If she told you everything that she really does, she'd have to kill you, basically. (laughs) I am pleased to present Dr. Trina Boyce. Trina, are you ready to share your story of hope? Oh, thank you for having me, Tamara. (laughs) You know, I adore you. And for those listening, I've known Tamara for, I don't know, two, three years now, right? Something like that. I can't remember. (laughs) But it's been fun. So question, Trina, how in the world did you end up being named California Young Mother of the Year? I I mean, I know that people are named Mothers of the Year, and I always imagine them to be like these perfectly perfect moms. And, And I know that's not the right image I should be putting in my brain, but I guess when you get an award like that, people assume that's what it is. <laughs> Why don't you tell me a little bit of background yeah. on that? And and was were you the perfect mom? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. I always say I, I look really good on paper, <laughs> but the, or the, the title is awarded by a wonderful organization called American Mothers, Inc. And I was involved with it when I was living in Georgia. And then I moved to California and I was still involved. And then, you know, one year I actually received that honor. But it's kind of tricky because if they just said, we just think you're great, have this award, that would be wonderful. But it's kind of a little bit of a competition because people can nominate a bunch of women. And then from all those women, they have to pick one winner. And I I didn't like that experience because anybody who loses feels like, oh, well, then I guess I'm not a good mother. And that's Mm. absolutely not the case at all. Um, All of the women were absolutely incredible. They often look for women, obviously, that have a lot of kids, look good on paper, but are really involved in their communities, have a platform, and have um, something that really 
speaks to the world and the time, I guess I should say. And so mm. anyway, I was involved in a lot of things. And so that's why I say my kids just laugh at that because they know I'm not a perfect mother at all. <laughs> I, I think everybody's kids could testify that their parents are not perfect parents, <laughs> you know, all the kids out there. But it, it, it is a, it is a juggling thing. I think we all have good days and bad days. And I think we'll probably talk a little bit about parenting uh, successes and failures. <laughs> I could share a lot of failures with you. That is for sure. So I have four sons and they're all awesome. When I was young, I actually had a dream that I was going to have four sons. And I dreamt of them outside in our backyard. We had, now this isn't true because it was just a dream, but I was, um, we had a basketball court in our backyard and I saw these four guys, they were tall, they were playing basketball and I just loved watching them play because you could tell they were getting such a kick out of being together. And so mm -hmm. I just thought, oh, I can't wait to meet them. And so when I got married and had my first baby. We thought, well, let's have a boy because everybody needs a big brother. So boom, we had a boy and we're like, well, that was easy. And he was awesome. And we're like, what's everybody complaining about? This is awesome. <laughs> so then we said, all right, you know, ready for another one. Cause both, we both thought we needed to have four because we came from siblings of only three kids in the family and somebody was always mm. left out. So we were convinced we needed to have an even number and two wasn't enough and six was way too many for us <laughs> at the yeah. time. Anyway, so with our second son, uh, or well, we wanted another boy. We thought if we have a girl, great, then we'll have one of each. But if we have another boy, they'll be best buddies. And we had another boy and they've been best buddies. And in fact, that son was born on my bedroom floor, delivered by my husband by accident oh because he was born so fast. And then, so the third time around, we're like, well, you know, a girl would be fun. But I kept thinking about that dream. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a boy. <laughs> um, and in fact, I had had some miscarriages, uh, was struggling a lot with my body uh, to produce a healthy baby. And so I had this miscarriage and I was just overcome. I was distraught. I was de depressed and anxiety and all of that. And uh, just couldn't snap out of it. And part of it was hormones. My body was five oh, months yeah. pregnant when I lost that baby. And so for a long time, my body was like, what happened? Where'd the baby go? And I was reading books and trying to get comfort from something. And then one morning I was laying in my bed and I heard a voice and it was a young man's boy voice. And he said, mom. And that's all he said. But in an instant, I knew that my next baby was going to be a boy. I knew that was him giving mm -hmm. me comfort. And in just saying the one word, mom, he let me know he was okay. The timing was going to work out. My body would recover. Everything was under control. And it gave me just incredible comfort. And I was able to pull out of that, get my body together, and then have him. And, and it's so fun to meet him or to have met him, you know, when he was finally born, but to watch his life unfold and to see out of all of my kids, he would be the one to 
speak through that veil that separates us between earth and beyond to say, you know, I'm here. I love you. And that's Mm -hmm. how he is today. So affectionate and sweet. Not that my other boys aren't affectionate and sweet, but there's something very unique about him. And then, um, yeah. And so then I just figured, okay, this dream is actually coming true. So I knew the last one was going to be a boy as well. And sure enough, I have my four boys. (laughs) They all did play basketball and more importantly, they love hanging out together. So that, that's my little story. Oh, but I was actually, I was going to tell you another story. So um, I do a lot of business in China and mm-hmm. now the country policy has changed. Now they're allowed to have more than one child, but for many years they had a child or a one child policy. So when I would give presentations, they would announce me or introduce me as being a mom of four sons. and people would freak out. It would blow (laughs) their minds for how do you do that? Because they would just say, you know, how much they were struggling with one and they would just Mm -hmm. say, Oh, you must be an amazing mom, you know? And I'm like, no, let me give you the scoop. So my second son, the one who was born at home by Mm -hmm. accident, um, he loves video games. And so when he was a kid, All he ever wanted to do was play video games. And I know that's not unique, um, but he just was obsessed with them. And so I, as a good mother, I would always say, now, honey, that's enough video game playing for today. Why don't you go off and develop some talents or some skills or hobbies for your future career? You know, I was always trying Mm -hmm. to teach my kids, you got to get some skills that are marketable and and so I really struggled with him. The other kids would be, okay, fine. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll go out and play and they'd be happy. But that was just his big love was playing these video games. Well, guess what that son does for a living now? Video games? <laughs> yes. He actually designs video games at a company called Blizzard, which is a hugely worldwide popular, uh, successful company. He does the 3D animated artwork that go that goes into the video game called World of Warcraft that Blizzard wow. produces. He loves it. It's his dream job. And, you know, really, what does a parent want but for their child to be happy and productive and contributing to the world? And that's what he's doing. So I, when I would speak to these Chinese parents, I would always say, just calm down, you know, mm. just First of all, everything's going to work out fine, but um, listen to your kids because they have something in their heart. They know what they want to be and do and give and have in their life and you can support them. And not that I didn't support him, but I thought he had to go in my direction. I had a certain path that I wanted him to follow in. And I didn't know anything about video games or even art really for that matter, So it's just been such a thrill to watch him use his God-given talents to truly do something that was not on my radar at all. And he makes a great living. I'm so proud of him and so happy for him. Wow. So so how do you do that, Trina? Because I I know it's not easy uh, for parents to uh, nudge and nurture and try to help kids as they're making decisions um, about what they want to become and be when they grow up. What, what advice would you give to, to parents who are struggling with this? 
it is hard. And I appreciate you recognizing that. I mean, you're in the thick of it too, because your I kids am. are really young. And three of my kids now have their careers, their adults, they're moving on with life, you know, and they have done, made some great choices and have done some really cool things. My youngest son is still right in the thick of trying to figure out who he is and what he wants to do for his life. And so probably my best advice would be to expose your children to lots of different things. Um, You know, I think most parents are pretty good at saying, let's sign up for piano lessons and soccer, right? Mm. Um, And sometimes they grab hold of that and that becomes their thing. And other times it just is not their thing. And so you move on and say, well, let's try this. Let's try that. And I have to applaud my dad because he did a great job of that. He was constantly exposing us to travel or different restaurants or different um, activities and it helped me as a young girl know that there's a whole world out there of really cool things and some things I liked and some things I didn't like. So to just constantly offer up new things to try. My kids not once in their life ever told me, mom, I'm bored. (laughs) You know, because I know a lot of kids say that, but I not to my credit, but just that they knew there were so many things out there to try and so many super cool, exciting things to try. And so even with my young son, um, we do that. For example, he is really interested in spirituality, but he has not committed to one religion. Even though he grew up with my religion, I absolutely allow each of my kids to choose what settles best in their heart. And as long as they have some kind of a relationship with God, you know, at one point I had a son who's like, there is no God. And I said, nope, that's not fair. You know, just because you can't prove that he's alive or dead, you know, he is there, at least say you're an agnostic, which means you're not knowing, you don't know for sure and allow that window or that door to open. Um, And so with my youngest son, uh, he is interested to see what what's out there. What are all my choices? And so we go to a lot of different churches and synagogues and mosques and um, different forums and uh, firesides and devotionals and meetings and gatherings of, you know, all of the different events that happen in my city. And I live in Las Vegas. So we've got just a lot of really cool stuff to choose from. And uh, we attend an interfaith forum every fall for eight weeks. They offer different religions or leaders from different religious groups to come and teach a little bit about their religious dogma and doctrine. And and I love that. And I love sharing that with him because we have these fantastic discussions. We don't always agree on everything, but I've tried to work very hard at making sure all of my communication with my kids is open and to let them know I am supportive of whatever you want to do, as long as it's not illegal or (laughs) unhealthy or, you know, really crazy. (laughs) But um, so just, I think really to be open-minded and to be willing to try stuff yourself too. Mm. Um, You know, so we, when we started traveling to China, one of my sons that I took with me absolutely fell in, well, we all fell in love with China, but he uh, started, he he was at university at the time. And so as soon as we got back from our trip, he 
enrolled in a Mandarin class. And now that is one of the great loves of his life. And he, in fact, even went on to marry a lovely girl from Hong Kong. So we have this fun international flavor in our family now. And now we have, we really have to learn Mandarin much better than what we know right now. (laughs) But I love that, that your kids can expose you to things that you never would have imagined before. And so I've absolutely learned that. Wow, that is that is amazing. And I love how positive you are about that. And it it hasn't all come as smooth sailing. I know you were telling me before we even started the podcast about how sometimes um, your kids take a different path than you would have imagined that they will take. Um, you told me the example of your youngest being done with high school when he was a sophomore. And why don't you share that story and tell me how you were able to work through that as a parent and help him, uh, even though it wasn't the path you would have chosen for him. Right. Now, for me personally, education is extremely important. You announced that I have a doctoral degree. I Mm -hmm. do. That's how much of an academic nerd I am. (laughs) So, of course, I expect all of my kids to get straight A's, be on the honor roll, on the dean's list in university, graduate with honors, keep going, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and, and my three oldest kids have done that. Um, Although my second one took a detour and for a while I didn't think he was going to. In fact, before I tell you about my younger son, um, I really think it's important that you show respect to your kids and that you expect them to respect you also. That, In other words, everybody recognizes that your opinion has value, even if it's different. Your lifestyle choices have value, even if they might be different. So this second son, who's this incredibly successful artist at uh, Blizzard, uh, actually got hired before he'd even graduated with his animation degree. And so I said, oh, but you got to get that degree. And so for years, I pecked at him, don't forget to get that degree, because he was only shy of two classes to get his actual bachelor's degree in, you know, animation and um, computer video design and all of that. And he's like, mom, I just don't need it. In my industry, the talent is what's more important. And, but I, you know, I kept persisting. And finally, when I backed off and said, you know what? Not everybody is going to get a degree and that is okay. Finally, it took for me to get comfortable with the idea that he was happy, he was successful, doing what he loved. So I stopped bugging him. And that next year for Christmas, uh, all the kids and my husband pulled out their cell phones and they're like, okay, open up this next present. And I'm like, what? Gee, you know, you're all surrounding me. Like what is in this box? And cause they all knew, and I had not a clue, but anyway, I opened up the box and inside was a graduation cap and a diploma. And so he had called the university, worked, worked it out with his professors and got those two classes finished and got his degree. And I just burst wow. into tears. Cause I had really resigned myself to saying, you know what? It's okay if he doesn't get that degree. And I really, truly meant it and believed it. But I got to tell you, I'm thrilled still (laughs) that he got that degree. But back to my youngest son is quite an intellect, but could not stand to sit in a classroom one minute longer. So the end of his sophomore year, I, I got invited on a speaking tour. It was my very first trip to China. And I said, well, gosh, 
would you mind if I brought a couple of my sons with me? And I didn't think that they would say yes, but they were like, of course. And I was like, really? I mean, all expenses paid for all three of us. And they were like, sure. And so wow. my two youngest sons are both break dancers. And so I said, Hey, here's the deal. I'll give my boring speech. And then my kids can like dance and entertain the crowds, you know? So <laughs> that we felt like we were royalty that, you know, the audiences were just going crazy, not for me and my boring speeches, but for my kids, they'd come out and we felt like rock stars. They would swarm us and want our autographs. And they made us just feel like Hollywood celebrities or something. And who wouldn't love that? It was awesome. And so, of course, that's why we all immediately fell in love with China because we were treated so well. Mm -hmm. And so my son, my youngest son is looking at that like, hmm, I could stay in China and be a rock star or I could go sit in math class back in high school. And so we came home from this speaking tour and he lasted two days and said, can't do it, not going to do it. And I'm like, what? That's not the plan. Mm -hmm. And we really battled, but I could tell, okay, this isn't going to work. But when we were um, in China, uh, I spoke at a lot of different venues at tea houses and huge amphitheaters and libraries and schools and talked about a lot of different topics. But one of the schools that I spoke at um, had this fantastic principal. I just adored him, fell in love with him instantly. And I didn't, I used WeChat. That's the big social media out there. Anyway, I got on WeChat. We started talking and I said, oh, I don't know what to do. My son wants to go back to China. And he's like, send him here. I will pay him to teach English in my school. I'll pay him to teach hip hop dance to my students. I will personally give him Mandarin lessons and teach him about the culture. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That is just too good to be true. And I think in any other circumstances, I would have really hesitated. But because I knew him, I trusted him, I could completely visualize where my son was going to be. And I felt really comfortable with that. I said, all right, let's try it. So my son and I got on a plane, flew back to China, and I stayed with them for about a week or so. And I was, and my son just blossomed before he was all depressed and mopey and my parents are so stupid and I can't wait to get out of Las Vegas and you know all it's just mm -hmm. the worst attitude ever and within minutes really of being in China he just blossomed and I thought okay this is not the path that I would have chosen and I never would have imagined sending my 15 16 year old son to the other side of the world without me but that's where I say parents have to be really open-minded because every child is different. Every child's path is different. And of course, a lot of prayer and counseling with good people led me to this decision where I felt like that was the best thing for him at the time. So wow. that's what he did. And it was funny because at first when I flew back home, I was like, what have I done? You know, <laughs> and realizing, oh no. And I was sad and I missed him. But then I was like, wait a second, I'm an empty nester now. We can travel <laughs> and do whatever the heck we want. So my husband and I kind of partied for a little while and celebrated <laughs> that moment. And for a time, we thought, you know, this son, we may have lost this son to China because he loves <laughs> China so much. But and we kind of also thought, 
well, if that's what it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. This has been so much fun, Trina. We're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, I understand you have a mantra that you have developed from all these crazy experiences with your children and life. And I was wondering if you would mind sharing with us that mantra and a couple of other tips you've learned from parenting along the way. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I've been talking to Trina Boyce about everything from miscarriage to parenting children and sending them to China when things don't work out. And we were just getting ready to talk about your mantra, Trina, before we went for commercial break. Tell me, what is the mantra that you have developed with all of this craziness that you've dealt with ups and downs in your life? I've kind of developed my mantra over the years to one word, and you're going to laugh when I tell you this word, but my mantra now is whatever. <laughs> I've had, I used to be really uptight and I would get stressed out and anxious if things didn't go perfectly or exactly how I envisioned them and what my expectations were. And I think the word expectation has everything to do with your levels of happiness. And so it's as funny. I sort of started dropping some of those expectations, not lowering my standards, but just being willing to accept different paths, um, that mantra of whatever kind of settled in my heart. And I realized, you know what, if he lives in China for the rest of his life, how fun we've got, a, always we'll have a, an excuse to go back to China, you know, because he'll be there. It'll be difficult, but if that's what he loves, but ultimately he was there for about a year and a half and then he'd had enough and he was ready to come home. And so now he's having a different adventure and you know, that's how life is. It twists and it turns and you never know what's going to happen. Mm. And here's another quick tip for parents too: not sweat the little things. Again, mm. as a young mother, I was very organized and I had all my kids toys and color coded boxes and just everything had to be just so. And the more kids that came, the less organized my house became. And, you know, just because kids are messy, that's how they are. And I couldn't get angry at them. I mean, I did because I thought, no, you should 
know how to color coordinate your toys. <laughs> and then I realized these are kids, you know, and I didn't want to ever be the cause to stifle their creativity or anything like that. And so pretty soon I'm just like, whatever, if we can at least get the toys in any of the boxes, get the majority of the ones that will hurt our feet when we step on them in the <laughs> middle of the night. I'm okay with that. And that's kind of when the whatever policy started to become real to me. And I realized they were happier. I was happier when I realized, you know, it just didn't matter. So you just don't sweat the little stuff. And as somebody once said, it's almost all little stuff. You know, the most important mm -hmm. things to concentrate are their integrity, you know, their character, their values, and, you know, to be a person of substance that can contribute to the world and, and add positivity to the world and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Oh, this has been so fun. I could just listen to you tell stories all day. <laughs> well, okay, here's one more parenting advice. But um, speaking about this child who was in China, uh, one day he had come home and he was off doing, I don't know, whatever he was doing. He was out of the house and I was in his room. I think I had brought in some laundry or something like that. And I noticed on his desk, there was a journal or what looked like a booklet. And it said something like my China or something like that. And I knew that the principal had given him an assignment because I had asked him to give him this assignment at the end of his time there to write down what he had learned from his trip you know, his whole experience while he was there. So I thought, oh, this must be what he wrote. And so truly, honestly, I didn't think it was a diary. I honestly thought it was a school assignment and I was eager to read it. So I started flipping through the pages and reading it only to find out it really was a diary of sorts. He was Oops. writing his deep thoughts and revealing some very poor choices that he had made while he was there. And I was just sort of dumbstruck. I couldn't believe my son, who never swears, was writing profanity in this journal when he was angry about something. And I was like, whoa, wow, what, who is this child, you know? Mm -hmm. So I talked to my husband, oh no, what, you know, what, do we confront him? How do we handle this? Um, because some of these choices were choices that we had taught him to never do. For example, smoking. That's just stupid. It's bad for your health. Everybody knows it. But given all this new freedom and given that he was surrounded by really a culture that is full of smokers, he decided to try smoking and he decided he liked it even worse. So, you know, I mean, among other mm -hmm. things that he was writing about in this journal. So I'm like, oh, how do we handle this? You know, have we lost our son forever? Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, not just saying talking about smoking, but some other things that he also did. I decided with my husband, let's just ask him, what did you learn? You know, not even mention that we saw this book or anything, you know, what are some of the things you learned from your experiences? Um, and so he started talking about this, that, and the other, all happy, all good. And we talked for, I don't know, about an hour or so. And then finally my husband was like, okay, good talk. You know, and I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, do we say good talk and end it? Or do we say, okay, that was great. Very surface level. Now let's get real and talk about the things we know you actually did do there and your choices. And so in my mind, I'm debating, you know, do I 
just sort of hug and say, okay, great. And then maybe confront him another time. But I thought, no, we're here. Let's just do it. So I said, okay, let's get real. Let's have an honest talk. And wow, the conversation really changed, obviously. And it went from pretending to really connecting with my child. And it was a really hard conversation. There were lots of tears that were shed, but in the end, lots of hugging and a greater appreciation for the paths and the journeys that we take and how different they all are and how as parents, our job is to support our kids, to help them learn life's lessons. And I would rather my kids learn life lessons without having to personally experience pain. But mm-hmm. as you know, pain is an incredible teacher. And I wouldn't want my children to miss out on those lessons simply because I'm shielding my kids from pain or sorrow or difficult uh, challenges and that kind of thing. And I know you would absolutely agree with that. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I think we do learn more from our hardest times um, than we do from the good times. It's just, it's inevitable. We learn more about ourselves. We learn to be more flexible, as you were mentioning before. Um, we learn that things don't always work out the way we, we thought or planned. And I think we learn more about ourselves, our nature, our character. We learn more about the importance of taking care of ourselves. You know, there's just so many things we learn through the the difficult challenges of life. It's amazing. I, it is. And I think that it allows us to add depth to our character. So I mentioned I had had this first miscarriage. I had other miscarriages afterwards, but when I had had my first one, I thought that I was out of danger. You know, they always tell you after the first trimester, then you're out of danger. But I had my miscarriage at five months of pregnant. I mean, I looked pregnant Mm -hmm. and I really suffered physically, but emotionally, especially. And at the same time, I learned that another dear friend in my church congregation had lost her three-year-old child to a fire. She was out of the house um, and actually attending a church event and had asked one of her other kids, you know, to babysit. And the toddler had wandered into the garage, knocked over a can of gas. It (sighs) leaked, was close to the water heater. The whole garage burst into flames. I mean, how devastating. And my heart just sank. I just thought, how on earth can I feel sorry for myself? I didn't even know this baby that I lost and I'm feeling so much pain and agony. I can't even imagine what she's going through. And my heart just ached and I wanted to do something for her. But I thought, you know, I can't just show up with a casserole and say, sorry, here's a casserole. How could that ever balance out her loss, you know what I mean? Or even Mm -hmm. be a drop in a bucket of the tears that were following and falling in her life. And, and I, I, so I didn't, plus I was still recovering. I was still on bed rest. And so finally I thought, okay, I'm just going to write her a letter, an old fashioned handwritten letter and just pour my heart out to her. And um, I, you know, I cried through this letter and prayed that she would at least know how much I loved her and admired her. And I was so shocked when I got 
a handwritten letter back from her quickly, I might add. And I just thought, wow, she is in the depths of sorrow and she has time to write me a letter. And it was the most beautiful letter. I've still kept it because it was so inspiring. And in her letter, she basically was comforting me. And she was the one with much, much greater loss. Now I know we can't measure someone's loss. You know, I I felt like, I mean, all loss is equal if it causes you to to struggle and have pain and all of that. But um, I was so touched by what she taught me in her letter. And, and, one simple lesson that I learned throughout that first experience of my miscarriage was that any act of love, no matter how big or small, matters. And while I couldn't reverse the clock for her, bring her child back, or you know, do anything that would compensate for the pain that she was feeling, that simple letter that she gave me meant the world to me. And um, I had another dear friend who also actually lost a friend to suicide. And again, this was one of my son's best friends and we were devastated. And again, I was like, what do I do? I was living in California. She was living in Georgia where we had just moved from. And I thought, what can I do? What can I do? And, you know, again, there's, you can't think of any physical thing that you could give somebody. So what I ended up doing, I was crying buckets of tears every day for them. And I, and I was going through boxes of Kleenex of tissue. And I thought, okay, surely if I'm crying this much, she is crying way more. So I got onto Amazon and ordered like, three cases of Kleenex boxes, like a thousand boxes of Kleenexes. And they arrived at their house. And she said, she, you know, called me immediately and said, you know, that was the first time that they even laughed since their son died when they saw all of these boxes of tissues. And again, it was just a gesture, but I learned that the smallest gesture is worthwhile. And to never tell ourselves, oh, you know, I don't know what to say to that person. I'll say the wrong thing. You know, if you know someone who's struggling or whatever, anything, a flower, a note, a sticker, a card, chocolates, ice cream, chocolate and ice creams almost always do the trick. Yes. But anything, something. And that was an important lesson to me. It changed how I took action on my compassion more quickly. Hmm. Where, where, where did you come up with these ideas? I mean, I know it sounds so, when you say what you did, I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. (laughs) But, but I mean, did, were they, were they things that you took to God and said, God, what should I do? And just the, the, you know, the idea eventually popped into your head or did, did you just brainstorm on it or did it just happen or what do you do? Because there are times when, when we have dear friends who are struggling and we're not sure what to do. So, so, so what is your tip there? Um, that's a great question. I think all of the above, you know, in the case of the tissue, I was crying and going through so much tissue. And as I was praying to God and ask, what do I do? How can I comfort these dear friends? You know, the idea just popped into my head and that's how inspiration works. Sometimes it's an, a feeling that, that settles in your heart. And sometimes it's an idea that just pops in your head. And, uh, 
everybody receives inspiration differently and everybody reacts and responds differently. I've learned that for me, I'll feel that warmth in my heart and that ideas will just come out. And so I have learned over the years, whenever I have an idea, I have to write it down. Otherwise I'll forget it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I then, you know, if it's an idea that I think that doesn't even make sense, I have to consider, okay, was that my idea? And am, am I just brainstorming? Or really was that inspiration? And, and no matter how weird it sounds to me, I'm going to do it. Like who sends three cases of Kleenex to anybody? You know? <laughs> but at the time it made sense to me. And it turns out that was exactly what they needed. And in fact, she said for about a year or so afterwards, she was, she and her husband were both invited to speak at a lot of churches and events and talk about how to deal with suicide, how to recover from such devastating loss. And so she said every time she would take one of my boxes of tissue with her (laughs) and use it because she was still crying, you know, Um, but also to share that simple message of just reach out and do something because you don't know what could mean the world to somebody else. Hmm. No, I love that. That's, that's beautiful. Before I ask Trina the final question, I just have to give you guys a quick spoiler alert. Next week, I'm bringing Trina back and she is going to share with us some amazing tips and tricks that she has put together for people struggling with stress, anxiety, and depression. Because I know that is something that we are dealing with a lot with the COVID situation. And, and I just wanted to let you know that she is magnificent and has been so gracious to share this. And, and she's also going to share with you a free course that you can take that will help you or your loved ones um, if you're struggling with this. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Trina. Do you have a favorite Bible verse that has gotten through you through your parenting challenges, your anxiety and stress challenges, and your miscarriage challenges? What, what, what is it that has resonated with you? That's such a sweet question to ask. I would probably say one of the shortest verses in the Bible where it says, Be still and know that I am God. And what that tells me is he's got it all under control. My life absolutely has not followed the way my plan was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have had to release some of my ideas and release my tantrums when I didn't get my way because I thought this would be the best thing. And then of course, ultimately his way is better because again, the reason we're here on earth, one of the reasons is to learn and grow and to develop qualities that will remind God of his son, Jesus Christ. Mm. But our goal is to become like him. And my plan probably wasn't going to take me that direction and God knew that. And so if I can be still, listen for his inspiration, calm down and not throw my pity parties and my tantrums and follow his plan, then everything's going to be okay. Yeah. No, I love that verse. That's that's actually my daughter's favorite verse. So thanks Aww. for sharing that. Now, Trina, there's going to be people who want to connect with you after listening to all your amazing stories and experiences. What, where is the best way that they can find you? On social media, I'm Trina Boyce. 
I'm on YouTube. I've got four different channels. And so, yeah. I will be sure to put those links in the show notes so that people can find you. Thank you again, Trina, for sharing such an amazing story with us today and teaching us parenting tips and strategies. I had a woman ask me, can you ask one of your guests to teach us about parenting strategies? And I think you've given us some amazing gems to think about today. So thank you so much for that and helping us realize that we can cope with hope as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, Remember, God loves you.